I'm Chelsea. And I'm Deidre. And we're giving you a million murders. <laughs> that was the high one. <laughs> We're back, we're back, we're back. Oh, remember that? We used to do the so long, farewell, of vitas and goodbye. I used to go, so, I used to go, <laughs> <laughs> farewell. Yep, and then I'd say. And then I would not say that because I never could say it. Of vitas and goodbye. I'll feed you and goodbye. <laughs> like a good southern woman. I'll feed you, then goodbye. Because that's me. And Deidre. Yes. We know how to throw down in the kitchen. Oh, but that ain't all we know how to do. So, mm. <laughs> independent. <laughs> independent. Shoes on my I'm knee. a strong, I'm independent bottom. woman. <laughs> we are strong, independent woman. We don't need no man. I can't. I'm hollering. We want one, but we don't need one. <laughs> we may want one, but we don't need them. <laughs> oh, me. Well, hope you guys are having a great weekend. Yes, hope it's a, a good weekend for everybody. Hope you are blessed and highly favored. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> so today mm-hmm. I'm doing a story on a girl named Betty. And I don't know. I can't remember what her <laughs> last name was. Betty. Um. But anyways, so it's a true crime story. Okay. And I want to say there's some paranormal like in here too. Okay. A little bit of everything. Don't quote me, but I'm, pr- I'm, I'm pretty sure there's, yeah, a little bit of everything. But okay. it, and if okay. there ends up not being, just, it, just don't even, just don't even think about hey, it. Hey, it's a true crime. Yeah. I mean, it's a murder at least. <laughs> we haven't been doing those Dang, in a while. She- Look, she called me out. No, I, no well, when was the last murder I did? I don't know. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. I'm not calling just you out. <laughs> okay, so let's just jump on in. Let's do it. Okay. So, it's off of Texas Monthly. Okay. Uh, and it's titled A Kiss Before Dying. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And her name is Betty Williams. Okay. Betty Williams was a fast girl from the wrong side of the tracks. Okay. Mac Hearing was a handsome football player with all the right friends. When he broke up with her during her senior year at Odessa High School, her world fell apart. Mm. But she asked him for one last favor, to kill her. What? I, was, I thought Dun-dun. you were going to say to kiss her. So, when football season ended and there was nothing much to do on Friday nights except drink beer and stare up at the wide open sky, teenagers used to park their pickup pickups across the street from Odessa High School and wait to see the ghosts they called Betty. Okay. So, according to legend, she would appear at the windows of the school auditorium at midnight provided that students flashed their headlights three times or honked their horn and called out her name. 
The real Betty, it was said, had attended Odessa High decades before and had acted in a number of plays on the auditorium stage. But the facts of her death had been muddled with time, and each story was as apocryphal as the last. She had fallen off a ladder in the auditorium and broken her neck, students said. Oh. She had hanged herself in the theater. Her boyfriend, who was a varsity football player, had shot her on stage during a play. What, Lord? So many teenagers made the late-night pilgrimage to see Betty that the high school deemed it prudent to paint over the windows of the school auditorium. Mm. So this is like the Russellville girl, where they just like... Too many people were trying to crowd around to see her, so they just painted mm-hmm. over the windows. Okay. So during a later renovation, its facade was covered with bricks. But the stories about Betty never went away. Students still talk of a presence in the auditorium, one that is to blame for a long list of strange occurrences from flickering lights and noises that cannot be explained to objects that appear to move on their own. Some claim to have seen her pacing the balcony or heard her footsteps behind them, only to find one, only to find no one there. Mm. Rumors have flourished that a coach who knew the real Betty is visited by her on occasion in the field house, and that a former vice principal who once caught a glimpse of her after hours by the encounter that he refused to be in the school again by himself. Oh, he said, I'm not playing with y'all. I hear her name on a daily basis, says theater arts teacher Carl Moore, who has taught at Odessa High for four years. Mm. Whenever something unexplained happens, a book falls on the floor in my classroom or the light board goes out during a technical rehearsal, someone always jokes, it's Betty. (laughs) (laughs) Betty's at it again. I can totally see that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What may be nothing more than just a ghost story can also seem... What may be nothing more than just a ghost story can also be seen as something more complicated, as a metaphor, perhaps, for the way that one crime has lodged uneasily in Odessa's collective memory. The teenagers who passed down stories about Betty are too young to remember the kiss-and-kill murder, as it was christened by the press in 1961. Mm. But it was the most sensational crime in West Texas in its days. Okay. The notoriety of the case has long since faded, yet 45 years later, something lingers. When Ronnie White, who graduated from Odessa High the year that the murder took place, returned to his alma mater to teach history in 1978, he was astonished to hear students talking about the former drama student named Betty, whose spirit supposedly haunted the auditorium, and the popular football player who had had a hand in her killing. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, he says. I thought, good Lord, they must be talking about Betty Williams. <laughs> good Lord. Sept- and now this one says September 23rd, study hall. This was 1960. Okay. Well, I finally made the rank of senior and I can hardly believe it. I really don't feel much different. We get our senior rings Wednesday. I'll be glad. It sure does feel funny to be on the top of everything looking down. Seems strange to think that this is really all of high school. Next year, we had our pictures made last week. If they turn out halfway decent, I'll send I'll send you one. 
Send me another picture if you have it. Well, the bell is about to ring, so I'll write more later. Love, Betty. Oh. So, what most people remember about Betty Williams is they hardly noticed her at all. Oh, this is going to be sad. Lord. Okay. She lived in a small, well-worn frame house on an unpaved street not far from the oil fields west of town where gas flares burned and drilling rig lights illuminated that desert at night. Mm. Her father, her father, (laughs) mater, alma mater, father. Her father, John, was a carpenter who had difficulty finding steady work, and her mother, Mary, had taken a job at J.C. Penney to help make ends meet. J.C. Penney! Yes, okay. A strict Baptist, her father often preached to Betty about sin and eternal damnation, and on more than one Sunday morning, he prayed that she might learn to be more obedient daughter. Oh. At 17, Betty was pretty in an unremarkable way, with sandy blonde hair that brushed her shoulders and big expressive blue eyes that could feign sincerity when talking to authority figures that were alive with irreverence Mm. so they kind of called her basic looking they're like she was beautiful and an unremarkable so like a natural beauty is that what they mean or just like oh she's pretty yeah betty Betty, i mean she don't look basic to me she's no they just said she was beautiful in an unremarkable way so i'm like what does that mean like how dare you does that mean (laughs) yeah i'm like what y'all trying to say in an unremarkable way but then you're like her beautiful blue eyes and feigned sincerity and okay well Why are you calling her unremarkable? Rude. Anyway. Betty disdained conformity Mm. and reserved particular contempt for the girls with matching sweater sets and saddle shoes who seemed to look right through her. Okay. She fancied herself an intellectual and put down her opinions on everything from boys to religion in dozens of letters and notes that she passed in study hall. She read Jack Kerouac's On the Road and the poetry of Allen Ginsberg, and she listened to records of Lenny Bruce's stand-up routines in which he railed against racism and skewered middle-class hypocrisy. Yes, go ahead. She too liked to get a rise out of people, and she thrived on attention, whether she got it by arriving at Tommy's drive-in dressed entirely in black but wearing white lipstick or in jeans and a t-shirt under which she didn't bother to put on a bra. Oh, okay. She, listen, honey. She was like, I'm not conforming to anything y'all got to say out here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show up and show out. Go I ahead, like Betty. I, I like her. I like Betty. She freely expressed opinions that went against the grain, like her belief that segregation segregation was unjust and that blacks should not have to attend a separate high school across the railroad tracks. (laughs) Come on. In bedrock conservative blue-collar Odessa, where the John Birch Society's crusade against communism and other un-American influences had struck a chord, she was seen as an oddball. Most people do not understand me, Betty wrote to a friend her senior year. There are people willing to be my friends, but mostly they are either too ignorant to understand why I'm like I am, and consequently offer my mind no challenge, or they haven't the wits to match mine. Ooh. At the top of Odessa High School's rigid social hierarchy were the cashmere girls, as one alumna called them, 
The girls with perfect complexions from West Odessa's better neighborhoods who were perennially voted most popular, best personality, and class favorite. Mm-hmm. At football games, they sat in the stands wearing the ultimate status symbol, their boyfriend's letter jackets. Oh, yes. They belonged to the informal sororities called Tri-Hi-Y Clubs. Capri, Sorella, and which cherry picked the most popular high school girls? So those clubs cherry picked the most popular girls. Oh, okay. Betty was hardly Tri-Hi-Y material. In the high school pecking order, her classmates remember her as a nobody. Dang. A non-entity and someone on the outside looking in. Dang. They really coming for her. They tearing her apart. They are. I shred don't like it. Shred for shred. Like, I don't like it either. Justice for Betty. But while she struck an anti-establishment pose, the rejection she felt from the other girls still stung. Hmm. Betty wanted to be liked, says her first cousin, Shelton Williams, whose memoir washed in the blood chronicles his coming of age in odessa through the prism of betty's murder she wanted what we all want to be totally unique while being completely accepted washed in the blood is that the yeah like are the you washed that's the why blood? i would like it was like ooh, is this, the blood is this, of the lamb. Is this taking me back to my my <laughs> southern southern church roots yes it sounded like it's one of those towns so yeah it's, are you washed in the blood of the lamb in a place where fun on a Saturday night might mean deciding to take only right turns while cruising around town, Betty dreamed of her escape. She hoped to one day become an actress, and in her bedroom, where movie posters and playbills cover the walls, she devoured magazines like the Hollywood scandal sheet Confidential. She loved the thrill of the spotlight and was gifted enough that she landed parts in three school plays when she was just a sophomore. Go ahead, sis. During her junior year, when the speech team performed the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet at the University of Interscholastic League competition, Betty played the doomed, lovesick heroine. Yes. But as desperately as she wanted to propel herself out of Odessa, she was fatalistic about the future. Mm. The oldest of four children... She knew that her parents could not afford to send her away to college, and her part-time job at Woolworths barely paid enough to finance any kind of getaway. While she aspired to one day appear on the Broadway stage, in the meantime, she planned to live at home after graduation and attend Odessa College just up the street. Some nights, Betty would slip out the back door after her parents had gone to bed and walk the four blocks to Tommy's drive-in, where there were always boys to talk to. Mm-hmm. Plenty of girls were flirts, but a few of them were as assertive as Betty. She made no secret of the fact that she was not a prude and that she was willing to prove it. Oh, I said, Ooh. Betty said, I ain't scared. I'm not scared of nothing. At the end of an evening at Tony's, it was not unusual for her to end up parked in a secluded spot somewhere with a football player. After, of course, he had taken his girlfriend home to meet her curfew. Oh, <laughs> honey, Betty said, listen, don't hate the play. I hate, I hate the, the game. game. <laughs> I need to know what happened to Betty. Who got her? 
While boys were free to do as they pleased, good girls were expected to obey an unspoken code of conduct. Mm Mm-hmm. If a girl had a steady boyfriend, then she could have sex, as long as she didn't advertise it, says Jean Smith Keeker, Mm -hmm. a Capri who was a year below Betty. What on earth is a Capri? I don't know. It's one of the... One of the clubs. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, cool. did we figure this out? <laughs> I forgot. Okay, The try-high-why clubs. Yeah. The um, try-high. But if she did it with someone who wasn't her boyfriend, then she was a pariah. Betty chose to disregard the rules. And if she had earned herself a reputation, she hardly seemed to care. Come on, Betty. I like it. Betty, Betty was way before her time, honey. Mm-hmm. She sure was. Einstein had been president during most of our years of growing up, and kids were kept on a very short leash, remembers classmate Dixon Bowles. Hmm. You got the feeling with Betty that she was always straining against that leash, even when it choked her. Maybe especially when it choked her. Oh. Okay. So there's she little... can't be tamed. <laughs> so here's a little letter again, like I read earlier, and okay. it says... Mac, well, I guess you accomplished what you set out to do. You hurt me more than you'll ever know. When you handed me that note this morning, you virtually changed the course of my life. I don't know what I expected the note to say, but not that. I'll not waste time saying that I didn't deserve it because I guess I did. I've never been so hurt in my life, and I guess your note was the jolt I needed to get back on the straight and narrow. I've done a lot of things I know that were bad and cheap, but I swear before God that I didn't mean them to be like that. I was just showing off. I know it's much too late with you, Mac, but I swear that another boy won't get the chance to say what you said to me. You've made me realize that instead of being smart and sophisticated like I thought, I was only being cheap and ugly and whorish. Oh, no, Betty. Forgive me for writing this last note, and thank you for reading it. I'll not trouble you again, and Mac, I haven't forgotten the good times we had. I really have enjoyed knowing you, and I'm awfully sorry that it had to end this way. Best of luck with your steady girlfriend. I hope she's the best. Betty. Hmm. P.S. When you think of me, try to think of the good times we had and not of this. Wow, okay. So, Mac Herring was was not one of the elite football players at Odessa High School on whose shoulders rested the hopes for the 1960 season. As a back... For the Broncos, and one of average abilities, he was just another guy on the team. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to write home about, apparently. Tall and good-looking with jet black hair that framed a long, contemplative face, (laughs) Mac was a guy's guy. Okay. His classmates remember who was quite quiet and self-contained. The eldest son of a homemaker and a World War II veteran who owned an electrical con- contracting business. Matt grew up in the slitterly... <sighs> Matt, I feel like I'm like in English class learning <laughs> new words. <laughs> we, we have been today. Listen, mm. perfidy. I was like, I've never heard of this word. Matt grew or up... Perfidy, perfidy, whatever it was. Matt grew up in the solidly middle-class neighborhood that was home to many of his teammates and the Tri High Y girls they dated. Mm-hmm. An avid hunter, he was happiest when he could spend a few days bagging, dro- bagging dove or quail on his father's hunting lease north of town or ramble around the old 
ramble around the oil fields with his twenty-two, hmm. planking jackrabbits. Oh. If Mac wounded an animal when we went hunting, he would pursue it and dispatch it, says Larry Frensell, who grew up across the alley from him. A lot of kids were cruel. They would shoot something and watch it hobble off, but Mac was different. He didn't like to see things suffer. If he was going out there to hunt, he was going to kill. That's crazy. So these kids out here in Odessa were just shooting things and just letting them hobble off and die. That's awful. That's terrible. Y'all some bad kids. Bad kids. Bad they, kids. Which they probably learn a lesson now, but because this sound like, well, no, they probably my parents' age. Yeah. Well, y'all was bad. Yeah. I think they may be my dad's age. They were teenagers in the 60s. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 60s. It was the 60s. Yeah. Although Mac was near the top of the high school case. Cast, C-A-S-T-E. Cast? Cast. Like, it's like a, like a hierarchy. It's like another way to if say hierarchy. If it's the same pronounced as cast, why is there an E on it? <laughs> Jeez. Because it's a different kind well, of cast. Well, you know, <laughs> read and read spelt the same. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I know. I know. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. Because it's a different word, but then I'm like, reading rest? I'm saying, like, what's the difference? But yeah. Although Mac was near the top of the high school caste system and Betty was at the bottom, they managed to strike up a friendship when she was a junior and he was a sophomore. Betty thought she sensed in him a kindred spirit. He seemed more sensitive than the other boys she knew, and she thought there was something lonely and romantic about him. In the summer of 1960, they started dating, and Betty wondered if she might be falling in love. Mac, she told friends, really listened to her, but Mac was careful to be discreet about the time they spent together. He never took Betty to his neighborhood, Carol McCutcheon's house, where the, where the in crowd gathered for dance parties and rounds of spin the bottle. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I know. Ugh. He never gave her his letter jacket or brought her home to meet his parents. Perhaps because he had wounded her pride, or maybe just to make him jealous, Betty tried to even the score one night when she parked with one of his best friends, a popular football player who had been voted the most handsome in his class. The stunt soared Mac on the relationship, and by the fall, he had broken things off and started going, and started going steady with a pretty redhead in Amica. Sure. I think Amaka, Amake, I think that that's other what we said lot. Like, yeah. Yeah. I've never been so humiliated and torn to pieces as I am now, Betty wrote to a friend. I feel so lonely and deserted, and I don't care what happens now or ever. This is pure hell. Oh. Betty was crushed to discover that fall that Odessa High's new drama teacher did not see much promise in her and had relegated her to the role of stage manager for the spring production of Maxwell Anderson's Winter set, a gloomy 1935 play based loosely on the Sacco or Sacco Vanzetta case. Vanzetti case. Mm, I Worse, I don't, I ain't either. <laughs> Worse, she learned that Mac would be playing one of Winterset's lead roles, a remorseless killer named Troc Estrella, still reeling from their breakup and depressed at the pro- prospect of not being cast in a single play. Her senior year, Betty began to feel hopeless. Mac was the one, and without him, life wasn't worth living. 
She said she wanted to die if she couldn't be with Mac. Remembers her cousin Shelton, who was a year her junior at Odessa's Permian High School. She told me, I have to get him back. Her mood turned darker after her father rummaged through her dresser drawers, looking for evidence of her disobedience. Distraught, Betty confided in a friend that he had found her diary in which she had detailed her experiences with boys. Oh, no. Though she had pleaded with her father to believe her when she swore to him that she had changed, he could not be convinced. Betty said that the situation at home was bad, says the friend who asked not to be named. I wanted to help, but I didn't know what to do. I was 16 years old. By the winter, Betty had started telling friends that she would be better off dead. Heaven must be a nice place, she told Junior Howard Sellers. She claimed to have half-heartedly tried to kill herself by taking four aspirin. She boasted of climbing up to the auditorium rafters, intending to throw herself into the stage below, only to find that she lacked the courage. Betty, who had always enjoyed being outrageous, talked about wanting to die to whoever would listen. But the only reaction she was able to provoke was a few eye rolls. The response was always the same. There goes Betty again, trying to be the center of attention. Ugh. That's terrible. I'm so, like... This is so sad. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. It Ugh. is. And they... She's going through it, honey. Yeah. The boyfriend done broke up with her. Her daddy done found her diary. Kids are mean. The people aren't giving her any roles her senior year. Like, this is tragic. Like, this would be horrific for someone to go through. Mm-hmm. Especially as a teenager. Like, oh, yeah. And then everybody's just like, there goes Betty again. It's mm-hmm. like, y'all leave Betty alone. I'll fight all y'all right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> Even when she began acting more erratically during rehearsals for winter set, her peers wrote off her overwrought confessions about wanting to die as nothing more than a theater girl's high school histrionics. She informed at least five students working on the play that she wanted to kill herself but didn't have the nerve. Would they be willing to do it for her, she asked. No, I don't think I will, Senior Mike Ware said, pissing it off as a joke. A sophomore, Jim Mercer, also deflected the invitation, I charge for my services, he kidded, quoting her an impossibly high price. At a time when Betty felt marginalized by those around her and forsaken by the one boy she loved, death seemed to hold its own allure. Or was she just acting, pushing the boundaries in another bid to catch Mac's attention? One night, he gave her a... One night, he gave her a Howard. Oh, one night, he gave her and Howard a ride home from rehearsal, and she made the request of him. Would he be willing to kill her? She would hold the gun to her head, she said, while he pulled the trigger. Mac laughed at the, abs- at the absurdity of the idea, and Betty laughed with him. She even went so far as to write out wildly melodramatic note, clearing him of culpability were he to be apprehended for her murder, a note that Howard would later say had seemed like a joke. But the next afternoon during rehearsal, Betty pulled Mag into the prop room backstage. She was miserable, she told him, and she wanted to die. It was the week before the winter set was scheduled to premiere and students were busy running their lines and painting the set as they, read it, as they readied for the final dress rehearsal. In the middle of the chaos, Betty spotted Mike. It's been nice knowing you, she said. What do you mean, he asked. I finally talked Mac into killing me, she said. 
Mike shrugged. I'll send roses. Ugh, no one's listening. Nope. Ah, oh. uh, I mean. This is so sad. It's really sad. It really is. Um, it says, I'm consumed with this burning emptiness and loneliness that has taken charge of me, body and soul. I have to fight it. If I'm to live, I have to fight, or else it will pull me down, down, down into that thankless pit of fear, pain, and agonized loneliness. Well, <laughs> that's part one. Yes. Um, okay. It was a lot longer than I thought it would be, and I still have a bunch to read. Yes. So... We're going to split it up and come back with the rest next time. Sounds good. I'm invested, honey. I need, I just. Yeah, this oh. article, they did really good on the details and. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And stuff like that. A lot was, better than me. Stop it. Researching stuff. Well, I mean, you know, when you're an actual writer, writing things, it's a little different. We yeah. don't have that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't have that training. Yeah. But, Ooh. yeah. So, I hope you, um have liked the story that I presented to y'all today. I did. I know you're probably sad that it wasn't a Reddit. <laughs> Just kidding. Listen, people but, people like the Reddits, though. Yeah. It's not that they... But this is like... Yeah, this is intense. This is a murder. We hadn't done a murder in a minute. It's been a minute. We got a murder. We had a little bit of paranormal in the beginning. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good story. Yeah, it is a really good story. I'm really into so. it. I'm into it. But um, you can email us if you have questions, comments, concerns, stories of your own, suggestions. Um, what's it? Uh, corrections on pronunciation. Oh, yes. <laughs> on the words, because I'm I know that I butcher so many words listen and i don't do it intentionally trust me well no we've been googling stuff left and right these past few episodes chelsea's had some words well i know sometimes i'll make the comment like that's good enough for me you know i don't mean that to be rude or anything but i just i'm hard on myself and i (laughs) deidre could tell you firsthand Mm -hmm. i just be like i just give up just like all right but yeah you can email us at a million murders at gmail.com and you can go to our Instagram at a million murders to look at the people, places, things. Um, you can also go to our Facebook group and page and or page. Um, but if you follow one, just follow the other. <laughs> and that's where we'll tell you updates and maybe post that an episode has been posted or tell you if an episode's going to be late or anything like that. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in. And we hope you come back for. A million million more. more. Bye. Bye.